Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Well, good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to John 14. We're going to begin in John 14, jump to uh, chapter 16 in just a moment. If you're visiting Christ Church this morning, uh, welcome. We're glad you're with us. As Darren said a bit earlier, our series is designed to look at what I'm going to call the drama of Scripture. Going all the way back to Genesis, when man failed themselves and defied God, God began to work to bring about this thing called the Messiah and this man named Jesus who came to be our Messiah, to rescue us from our failure and our our willfulness, and to bring about the restoration of all things that are lost. And if you begin in Genesis and take it all the way to the maps in the end, you're going to find out that God has been working this one storyline, how to redeem what was his from what we threw away. And so we've entitled this series, Actors. And I know for some that that may be an interesting term, but using the book of Acts, we want to talk about what is our role in this drama, Now that we're a part of the kingdom, or you're being invited into the kingdom, what role do you play in fulfilling God's storyline and building God's kingdom? And so today what we want to do is I want to build a theological assumption about the power found in the book of Acts. And so I'd like to begin with the very first point today, the gift of the Spirit. And I want to focus on the word gift. I'm going to try to show you theologically, and it doesn't take much work to do it, I just want to present it to you that the gift of the Holy Spirit is one of the greatest things we'll ever receive in our lifetime. It's found here in John chapter 14, and we're going to bounce a little bit because this is the last night of Jesus' life before he's brutalized and killed. And he begins to teach about the Holy Spirit. Verse 15 of chapter 14. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. One of the most powerful things Jesus ever promised us was that God would send, and I love the term here, another counselor. And the word for another used there is the word another of the same kind. Please remember this. The Holy Spirit is not a better version of Jesus. It is the spirit that Christ brought given to all of us. Verse 26. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now jump with me over to John 16, verse 7. But I tell you the truth. It is for your own good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, remember in the moment that Jesus is saying this to his disciples. He's saying, I'm about to leave you. And the last thing in the world they wanted was for Jesus to leave them. But he said, please understand this. That Jesus had limited himself to time and space. 
He was one person, could only be in one location at a time. He said, no, when I leave, the Spirit's going to come, and instead of the Spirit being physically present with you, the Spirit is going to be in you, and I'm going to give you this gift, and this Spirit is going to allow you to remember what I said and actually bring understanding to the entirety of your life. So church, let me ask you a question. Is that a good gift or what? You see, what I love about God is he doesn't give us what we want. He'll only give us what we need. And his idea of what we need is a whole lot better than our idea of what we need. And so this promise of the gift goes all the way back to the Old Testament where the prophet Zechariah makes a prophecy quoting God. Not by my might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And I want that verse to linger on the screen for just a moment. Because when you see that, I want you to understand, it's not by your ability. It's not by the things you do. It's by the power in which you do it. God says, I don't need you. I want you. God can, if he can create the world in, in words, then he can do whatever he needs to do. But he's invited us into this story to build his kingdom, to restore everything. And even though the story's not completed, there are glimpses of God's perfect will being performed in the life of believers. And that comes by the Spirit's power, not by our power. So if you sit here today and you say to yourself, I'm not good at this, welcome to the club. If you say, I've had more failures than successes, welcome to the church. If you say, I don't think I'm able to do this, welcome to reality. So are we over ourselves? Good. Because the church will grow when we get over us and we become all about him. And this is the promise of the gift. The work we do, the actions we take, and the belief we exhibit mean nothing if the power of the Holy Spirit is not with us. It is not by our power. It is not by our expertise. It's not by us becoming better. It's by the Spirit of Christ that abides in us. And here's what I want you to know as we enter into the book of Acts. This is what this series is about as Michael and I teach through it. What they were able to do in the book of Acts, we can do today. Now see, I want some of you to be uncomfortable. You're like, ah, I don't know. Stop. Did God get old? I'm sorry, that's a question. Did God get old? Has God become powerless? Has God become senile? Is God disinterested? Then you have to believe that what they did in the book of Acts, you and I can do today. If, if it's not by our might, but by his spirit, then it really always comes back to him, right? Remember, when we get over ourselves and become all about him, we are in the story of God redeeming all things. So who is this spirit I speak of? Well, let me tell you one thing he's not. And it's what scares me about American Christianity. The Holy Spirit is not an emotional state or feeling. It's not a quiver in your liver. It's not tears in your eyes. It's not goosebumps in church. I believe faith is more displayed when things are boring and dull than when it's exciting and you get goosebumps. The Holy Spirit is not an emotional state. It's not a feeling. You should not have to be whipped up into a frenzy to worship your Creator. The Holy Spirit is a person. It's not enthusiasm, courage, or energy. The Holy Spirit is personification, not of anything. Like, you know, we say John Wayne is the personification of the American spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the personification of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is Jesus. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is a person. 
but not created. He has individuality, will, and intelligence. Has knowledge, sympathy, and the ability to love. The Holy Spirit can hear, speak, desire, grieve, and rejoice. The Holy Spirit can be resisted and ignored. And the Holy Spirit can be accepted. The truth is the Holy Spirit is God. Not a God. We talked about it last week. Jesus is not junior God on internship. And the Holy Spirit is not just an image of God. The Holy Spirit is God. And let me tell you how I know that. Because the Holy Spirit has godly presence. According to the scriptures, Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? The Holy Spirit is omnipresent everywhere. Only God is everywhere. If the Holy Spirit is everywhere, then who is the Holy Spirit? I keep forgetting. I'm going to ask you a question, church. You're here early. You have the rest of the day to go play. Let's focus. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent. The Holy Spirit has power. Job 33, 4. The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. Omnipotence. That the Holy Spirit helped create everything. Only God has all power. The Holy Spirit has knowledge. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. This is what theologians called omniscience. All-knowing. So when you think about who's ever-present, all-knowing, and all-powerful. We know it's not you and me, right? And if the Spirit's not like you and me, and it's the Spirit of Christ, then who is it? God. Because the Bible says the Spirit is Lord. 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And remember what I told you, when Jesus said another counselor is coming... He said, another of the same kind. He didn't say, I'm going to send something so different you're going to have no clue what it is, but it's going to make you feel really excited. No, he said, no, I'm going to send, as I was with you, I'm going to send another counselor, just like me, who is going to speak to you the same words of truth. And here's the beauty of God's plan. Jesus didn't say anything God hasn't said, and the Holy Spirit won't say anything Jesus didn't say. This is why we believe in the Trinity. This is why we believe that God in three in one. I know it's hard to explain, but I have no doubt it's true. Not because I was taught it in a class, because when I read the scriptures, it's intimated throughout all of it. In fact, when Paul ends his letters in 2 Corinthians to the church, which is probably realistically either 3 Corinthians or 4 Corinthians, but that's a teaching for another day. We've lost some letters in between. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, as Paul concludes, he gives a benediction, a closing huzzah. This is what he says. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Sounds like he's praying for the same thing, isn't he? May the presence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be in your life. So the Holy Spirit is God. And here's the most important thing. And this gets eerie. This is where I'm going to test some of your faith today because I'm really wound up. And that clock means nothing to me now. So here's the truth. The Holy Spirit is not only God. The Holy Spirit is present. And the Holy Spirit wants nothing more right now to respond to your eagerness to know him. If you get nothing else today, don't 
walk away without the opportunity to pray with me and say, Holy Spirit, come and fill this place. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, you have come to serve, to love, to inspire, and to guide. I pray that whatever keeps any of us from receiving that today, please take it away so that we can be filled with you, one of the greatest gifts that we've ever been offered. Spirit, speak, teach, guide, and serve. We pray, amen. In John 16, verse 13, Jesus said, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all truth. He will bring glory to me by taking what is mine and making it known to you. So what difference does the Spirit make? That's the question of the day. I can propose all of this, and some of us are a little reticent to respond to it because we know that there are some people who get a little happy with the Holy Spirit and they do some things that maybe aren't biblical, and so we sit back and go, well, if they're going to ruin it, I'll have nothing to do with it. Don't. Don't. Just because someone decides to expand from the Bible what it doesn't teach doesn't mean that we should not celebrate what it does teach. It's not all or nothing. It's opening yourself up to this. So what difference does the Spirit make? And that's the point I want to make today. When we are filled with the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God, when we're filled with that, there is evidence in our life. And what I'd like to do today, as we begin the actor series, is show you the one person, many people, even if they don't know their Bibles well, they know the story of a man named Simon Peter. Now, I know we in the church call him Peter. I found something interesting in my study. Jesus never called him Peter throughout the entire Gospels. I'll explain why I think that is true in just a few moments. But I'd like to use his life as an example of an actor in the story of God's redemption, And how he's different in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John than he was in the book of Acts. And I think I'll give you the punchline before I tell you the joke. The reason he's different in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John versus the book of Acts is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he did not have the what? The Holy Spirit. Let's look. His name's Simon. I'm going to tell you a story. His name's Simon, son of Jonah. Interesting name, Jonah. I think it might echo to some Old Testament teaching about a man who did not want the Gentiles to know who God was because God would forgive them. I don't think that's maybe accidental. So Simon, the son of Jonah, was born into a fishing family in Bethsaida on the west coast of the Sea of Galilee. And there he was raised. And what we know very little about his background, there's some speculation, however, that he grew up under the care of his friends, James and John's father, known as Zebedee. Now, we don't know much about Peter's family, but there's some suggestions in oral tradition that he very well, his father may have died when he was young. We don't know that, but it's possible. But we do know that Peter's brother Andrew and these two boys named James and John and Peter were all fishermen together who had a business together and they served and loved each other and grew up together. Because of where they were raised and because of their class in which they were raised, they had some religious training, but it wasn't a large amount. So what scholars believe is that Peter was raised to know the Old Testament scriptures. He had been raised to be aware of what the scriptures taught, abiding by the law, and he was probably, because of what he experiences later, he was aware that a Messiah was coming. 
But we also know in the book of Acts, he was considered unlearned. So he had some education, but he wasn't highly trained in the things of, of God. And then he settles in the town of Capernaum, which is also on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And he was raised there, and their, their business took place. When John the Baptist baptized Jesus and called him the Lamb of God, echoing messianic prophecy about him, this is the one we've waited for, when that moment took place, Andrew, Peter's brother, and John, one of his friends, were there in the moment, and they began to follow Jesus, and this would open up a chapter in Simon Peter's life by which he would become an actor in the drama of redemption. So all of that background, Andrew would come back and get his brother, John chapter 1, verse 41, Andrew would come back and get his brother, Simon, and he would take Simon to meet this Jesus. So we get to Matthew chapter 4, and Simon Peter is called by Jesus, just like every one of us is. Now, what I love about Jesus is he doesn't make you do anything. And what I don't like about Jesus is he doesn't make us do anything. It's a curse and a blessing, isn't it? We want him to make us do the good things, but we want him to leave us alone and everything else. But Jesus believed in free will. So he calls this man. It happens in Matthew chapter 4. Simon Peter is in a boat fishing on the Sea of Galilee. They don't catch anything all night. They're cleaning their nets. And as, or excuse me, they're not cleaning their nets yet. They're coming in from the, the sea. And Jesus says, hey, cast your net on the other side. And Peter does because he knows, John knows who this teacher is. And John believes in the world in him. So he casts his net and the nets begin to rip with the number of fish. And you don't catch fish this part of the morning. You don't catch them the way they threw their nets. And Peter falls on his knees. And this is his first reaction. Depart from me, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says, get up. Follow me, you all know this, right? Follow me and I will make you. I love a church that knows the word. Simon Peter begins to hang out with Jesus and he begins to believe. And in that same place, in that town of Capernaum, in John chapter 6, Jesus says, who do you think that I am? And Peter gives the first public profession of what he believes. I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, I will now call you Petros, from the word rock. And upon that confession, upon that rock, I'm going to build my church. And Peter's like, dude, I'm the man. I'm finally a somebody. God himself says I'm it. But Peter misunderstands the gospel. He, understands what, he misunderstands what the Messiah is supposed to do. And Jesus then, according to the gospel writers, from that time forward, Jesus set his face on suffering. He knew what was coming, and he prepared himself for it. And when he told the disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and they're going to slay me, Peter says to Jesus, I won't let that happen to you. He misunderstands what the Messiah was, a suffering servant. He thinks he's going to be a political king. And Jesus turns around. The same man, he said, Peter, you're... dude, that's it. He turns around to Peter, and he says, get behind me, Satan. And Peter's world comes crashing down. What am I, the rock or Satan? Because when we try to keep the Messiah from sacrificing himself for us, that's exactly what Satan wanted to happen. If Satan could, could get Jesus to take a crown and a throne instead of a cross, we all are dead in our sins. But Peter misunderstood. And then Jesus takes Peter, James, and John to a mountaintop, and the glory of God comes down, and in that moment it lights Jesus up. To the, to the point that he's fluorescent. 
And Peter's like, we need to build an amusement park right here. We're going to have, you know, elephant ear stand and a bunch of Elijah, Moses, and Jesus places, holy ground. And Jesus is like, Peter, shh. My glorification's coming. Keep following me. You see, Peter is blessed by Jesus, but he misunderstands the gospel. He misunderstands the hope. In other words, Peter's like you and me, isn't he? Struggling to figure out what in the world God's doing in this drama. And then Peter goes into the Passover feast with his disciples, and in one of those moments where his tail's wagging real hard and he's really excited, he says to Jesus, if everybody else leaves you, if you've come to die in Jerusalem, I'll die with you. And no matter what anybody else does, I'm your boy. I'll never turn my back on you. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, by tomorrow morning, you'll deny me publicly three times. Peter meant what he said, but Jesus knew the pressure he'd be under, didn't he? And we know that from the Passover to the Garden of Gethsemane to the courtyard outside of Caiaphas' house, by the time the rooster crowed that it was morning, that Peter had denied Jesus three times in his weakness. And then Jesus is brutalized and dead. And even though there's a resurrection, and Peter was the first disciple to see it, 1 Corinthians 15, 5 says, and he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. You see, Simon Peter received grace. That the resurrected Jesus appeared to him and then they went fishing one day. Peter's a leader because Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. And Simon or Andrew and James and John are like, yeah, let's go fishing. We know how to do that. You see, the whole kingdom that they thought was going to be built had just come crashing down and they didn't know what it was about anymore. And so they went fishing and Jesus appears on the beach. You may have heard this story before. Hey, Peter, throw your net over the other side. And Peter throws his net over the other side and the fish came up in abundance. And Peter looked at the guys and he went, it's him. And then it said, Peter jumped in the water and swam to the shore. And there Jesus, in John chapter 21, got all the disciples together, which is one of the funniest things in the scripture. And I'm just, I'm just going to do this. One of the funniest things in the scripture is they fished all morning, caught nothing. He tells them to cast their net on the side. And then when they finally get to shore, Jesus already has fish on a charcoal fire. It's good to be God, isn't it? He already had breakfast. He's like, you guys fish all day. I got these. And he, notice... Jesus fed them from his fire rather than from their boat. Something there. And he asked him three times, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? It was on the beach that he would call him Peter for the first time. Because when grace is received, our identity changes. And Peter now knew who he was because he now knew what the Messiah was. And for many of us, our spiritual struggle is we don't know who we are because we don't know who he is. And when we receive grace, I want you to notice everything changes. Now we go to the book of Acts. And we know that Jesus ascended into heaven and Peter was there that day. And we know in Acts chapter 2, they were gathering outside the temple area, which just recently Michael and I had a chance to go to the Holy Land. And uh, when we came back, we actually got to stand on the actual steps, not the remade steps. We got to stand on the actual steps that Peter preached Pentecost. And he stood there that day and he told him who Jesus was. He now knew. He told him why Jesus did what he did. He now knew. 
And he offered everybody the same grace he received because he now knew. And he calls that day and 3,000 were saved and baptized because they believed in Jesus Christ. What happened? That little passage in the book of Acts, it says, and the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples and they began to speak. And let me tell you how different Peter looks in the book of Acts than he does in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Peter became bold in a better way. He was always bold, wasn't he? If everybody else fails you, I'm your boy. No, you're not. He, he cut off a dude's ear in the garden. One of my favorite stories as a kid. My dad hated that I liked that story. They go to arrest Jesus. Peter's like, wow, pulls a ninja move and ears laying on the ground. And Jesus looks at Peter and goes, Peter, 10,000 angels are waiting for me to call them down here to take names. And he puts the ear back on the dude. I wonder if Peter and he ever exchange anything. <laughs> my bad, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. You know, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they didn't talk. But here Peter is bold now in a better way. The man who tried to force Jesus to be what he wanted him to be is now preaching about the Jesus who revealed himself to be exactly who he was. Does that make sense? If you're trying to make Jesus be what you want him to be, he's never going to do it. When we learn to accept who he is, he'll change us. So after healing at the temple gate in Acts chapter 3, Peter was cast into prison. And in Acts chapter 4, he has to defend himself before the Sanhedrin. Don't miss this when you read the book of Acts. In chapter 4, Peter stands. Now, pay attention. We're talking about 50 days from the time they murdered Jesus to these moments. Maybe no more than 90 days. But within a 50 to 60 day, I'm guessing, Jesus is standing in front of the same group of men in the same location that they took Jesus and illegally had him murdered and got away with it and had Roman support for it. And now Peter, who ran away that night, when he was said, are you one of the followers of Jesus? He lied and ran away. That same Peter now stands before that same group of men who had Jesus brutalized, knowing they could do it to him, and instead of running away and lying, what does he do? He preaches. He preaches who Jesus is. And at that moment, Peter was willing to die for Jesus like he promised one day he would. And he preached the truth. Another outburst in Acts chapter 5, the Christians are preaching and they get together and they take them into prison. But during the night they were delivered and they were found the next morning teaching in the temple where they'd been arrested the night before. And a second time Peter defended them before the council and they were told don't preach anymore and Peter has that great line, he goes, do what you gotta do, I gotta preach. And they took him out, beat them and let them go. But don't you think for a second they slapped their wrists. This wasn't a $50 fine. You, you know from the Gospels what beating meant, don't you? The disciples allowed themselves to be beaten. You see, Peter is now bold in a better way. And now Peter understands the work of the Messiah. Peter left Jerusalem and he witnessed in Samaria. And then he came back to Jerusalem again, knowing that he was a wanted man, he came back to Jerusalem again and he reported to the church about what God was doing with the Gentiles. And he met Paul in Acts chapter 9 for the very first time. Yes, Peter and Paul in the same room. You want to talk about world changers gathering together, yet they went opposite directions in their ministries. And he left Jerusalem and he went to Lydia and Joppa. Joppa. Interesting correlation to Jonah. Huh? I told you I'd get you back there. 
Here you have a man who refused to go where he was supposed to go because he didn't want people saved. And now Peter's going back to where he wouldn't go to bring people the gospel message. And while he's there, he has a vision of a big blanket, big picnic basket coming down, and there's bacon and pork rinds. Well, it's not biblical. Read into it. And Peter says, I've never eaten this stuff. It's unclean. And the Holy Spirit said to Peter, don't call unclean, which what God just called clean. And then he said, you're going to go to a house of a Gentile named Cornelius, and he's open to the gospel, and he's the first non-Jewish convert, and Peter baptizes the entire household into Christ. Peter gets it now, doesn't he? It's not about who's powerful and who's a king on earth. It's about who opens the kingdom to all people. And then Peter refuses to deny Jesus under threat. Herod has him arrested in Acts chapter 12, but in the night the angel opens the prison gates and he goes free. And then they gather together in Acts chapter 15 and Peter says about how God is saving non-Jewish people and this was a part of the plan. And the Holy Spirit reminds Peter that Jesus said he would do this. Do you remember one of Jesus' promised about the Holy Spirit? He will tell you and remind you of the things I told you. And Peter preaches. And then there's no more mention of Peter in the book of Acts. What happened to him? Some scholars suggest he went to Antioch where he met Paul again. You'll remember in Antioch they were first called Christians. And after that he appears to have gone to Babylon because in 1 Peter chapter 5 he refers to greetings from the brothers and sisters in Babylon. Isn't it interesting that God would send someone to the nation that took his people and destroyed their temple? God's a forgiving God, isn't he? And then we don't know when he died. Some suggest it was between 64 and 67 AD, which I find fascinating if that's the time frame, because I like numbers, and that would roughly be 33 years after Jesus' resurrection, which is kind of interesting that Jesus lived roughly 33 years. Maybe it's something, maybe it's not. So what is this evidence that we see in the life of Peter that gives you and I hope that we can do the same things Peter did? I'm going to give you four briefly. The Holy Spirit creates in us joy. When we recognize God's place in our life and we recognize our place in his story, there is joy no matter the circumstances. There's no joy in the disciples in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There is in the book of Acts. What's the difference, church? the Holy Spirit. Acts 13, 52. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with... See, there's your answer. He creates in us a usefulness. And this is crucial. We're not called to be important. We're not called to be successful. We're not called to be powerful. We have been called to be useful. And the way you're useful in the kingdom of heaven is washing feet and serving others. Acts chapter 4, Peter, when he had to stand up and defend himself, he prayed this, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Peter said, Let me be useful. Galatians 5.13, Paul would write, For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Useful. He creates in us boldness. Boldness for the gospel, not boldness for our own place. In Acts chapter 5, 
And the apostles left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. The disciples who scattered on the night he was arrested, now gathered, stood in front of their accusers, and proclaimed, we'll die for Jesus because he's worth dying for. And lastly, he creates in us his presence. Following the healing of a crippled man and the threat of persecution in Acts chapter 4, Peter spoke boldly of who Jesus was and the power of our lives in him, Acts 4.13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You see, when the Spirit of God is guiding you, you're going to end up looking more like Jesus than looking like you. And wouldn't that be a good thing for all of us? You see, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul prays this promise that you would become a model to all believers. And in verse 8, that your faith in God has been made known everywhere. The greatest gift we can receive is not just being saved. It's being saved for something bigger than ourselves. And so the gift of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, was given. And this summer, we're going to look through the book of Acts of how the Holy Spirit's influence and the work of God's story in our lives has allowed common, ordinary, uneducated people to change the world. Because Simon became Peter, and Peter became a part of the kingdom, and God's will was fulfilled. What the early church does with the power of the Holy Spirit you and I can experience today too. So what do I do? Today's the day of prayer. We pray that the Holy Spirit would show us who Jesus is, who we are, and why we're here. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.